picture that can be found on the inside of the bulletin. And this is Luke 2, 8 through 14. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The word of the Lord. Well, we continue our Advent series, Christmas Gifts from Our Heavenly Father. The last two gifts that we've talked about, uh, which were joy, excuse me, hope and peace. Uh, Well, this week it's joy. We're going to talk about the Christmas present of joy. So I have a couple questions. In fact, I'd love for you, if you do have a piece, uh, a pencil to write down under the sermon notes, your best definition of joy. Definition of joy. If you don't have a pencil, maybe you could prick your finger so you could get some blood. Or better yet, prick someone else's finger to get blood to write. What is your best definition of joy? If you don't, don't worry about writing it if you don't have time. But think in your head, what is your definition of joy? And after you've thought about that question, what your definition of joy is, Here's the second. You didn't know you were actually going to have to do some work here, did you? What is the difference between joy and happiness? What is the difference between joy and happiness? See, the point I'm trying to make here is that what Jesus came to bring into the world, what God came to bring through Jesus is joy. But if we don't know what joy really means, we're not exactly sure what we have. In fact, if I ask many Christians what joy means, most will grope for words, sort of like you are doing in your head. But there's only one emphatic opinion you have, that joy is somehow different than happiness. Well, what is the difference between the two? Because God came to bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. And so we're going to answer these questions Three questions over the next three hours. Number one, what is joy? How can we understand what joy is? Number two, how does Jesus bring this joy, whatever it is, to us? And number three, how are we to live in this joy? Because the entrance of Jesus into the world has brought the greatest joy that the world will ever know. And we must let our joy be nothing less and nothing less than Christ who has come into the world. All right, number one, what is joy exactly? Like I say, if you ask a Christian what joy is, I'm not exactly sure. I just know it's not happiness. I went ahead and canvassed some of the teaching out there on this question of joy and happiness, and these were some of the responses I got. Uh, One teacher said, we don't get joy by seeking a better emotional life because joy is not an emotion. It is a settled certainty that God is in control. Sounds very spiritual. I like that. 
Number two, another said, joy is not an emotion, it is a choice. Okay. Some claim that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, not an emotion. But in Galatians 5.22, love and peace surround the word joy. And if you love someone, don't you feel something? What peace do you have if it isn't something that you feel? It was the Christian psychiatrist George Valiant who said that happiness is secular and joy is sacred. So we should be joyful but not happy when reading the Bible, praying and worshiping? Is the Christian life really divided into the secular and the sacred? Or is every part of our lives, even the ordinary moments, to be centered on God? We've got to get to the heart of this question, what is joy? The place we should go is where what the Bible says. And if you look at the Bible when it talks about joy and it talks about happiness, there are over 100 verses in the Bible where joy and happiness are used synonymously. Here's just some of them, Esther 8:16. For the Jews it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. Joel 2:21, be happy and full of joy because the Lord has done a wonderful thing. Psalm 40:16. May all those who seek you be happy and rejoice in you. In fact, the Bible is indiscriminate in its use of the language of happiness, joy, contentment and satisfaction. The Hebrew and Greek words are basically the exact same. It's really the interpretation of how our interpreters interpret that word into English that creates the nuances. For instance, in Luke 22:4, if you remember when Judas came to the chief priest to the priests and wanted to betray Jesus, he said, it says, he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were happy or glad and agreed to give him money. It could have easily have said, and they rejoiced and agreed to give him money because it's the exact same word. See, if we get away from the Christian world and we get into the regular world, our culture understands this. If you look in the dictionary for the definition of joy, the first result would be something like this, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, or a feeling or state of well-being and contentment. So the synonyms for joy are delight, pleasure, enjoyment, or gladness. To sum it up, joy is a feeling. It's biblical. So the question we have to ask is, where does this come from that joy has been separated from an emotion or feeling or happiness? Because a hundred years ago, if you asked a Christian what joy was, they would have been able to answer very easily. As best as I can tell, it started with a person I respect very much whose name is Oswald Chambers. And Oswald, the Wizard of Oz, as I call him, says some wonderful things, but every now and then he will say something that sort of deviates from the scriptures. Oswald said it this way, happiness is no standard for men and women because happiness depends on my being determinately, determinately ignorant of God and his demands. 
I think Oswald was really speaking of happiness apart from God, perhaps. I don't know. But for whatever reason, Christianity has divorced joy from happiness. In fact, if you go and you just search on Google about joy and happiness, you'll find 17,000 instances where the Christian teaching corpus makes a split between joy and happiness. I think somewhere something has crept into the heart of Christianity that emotions are bad. But God has created our minds and our hearts. And it's very bad to pit those two against each other. So here is my definition of joy, which I blatantly stole from John Piper. Christian joy, if you will. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. I'll say it again. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Where did we get this desire for joy? I do think it's Satan, by the way, who has tricked the church into believing that happiness is bad and that feelings are bad. But we do desire happiness or joy, may I use those words simultaneously, because we are made in the image of God. And God is infinitely happy in himself. How do I know that? Because I read the Bible. Psalm 115.3, God is happy because he's sovereign. It says our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Or he does whatever brings him pleasure or happiness. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, for my splendor, who I formed and made. God is happy because he is sovereign and in control and works everything according to his good pleasure. He's happy because he's sovereign and he's happy in himself. Remember, he is one God in three persons. And we see this picture of perfect happiness in the Trinity, don't we? Jesus being baptized and God the Father speaking, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, with whom I take pleasure and happiness in. Isaiah 42.1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. What would it look like if God ruled the world and was an unhappy God? God's not having a good day then we are not having a good day, right? Up and down, arbitrary. God's feeling grumpy today. These are the gods on Mount Olympus, right? Capricious. They get upset. They're petty. Oh, God is infinitely happy in himself. And what we see from this passage is that God has come into the world to bring happiness. Behold, I bring you good news of great happiness that will be for all people. Well, isn't there already happiness in the world? I mean, there wasn't gloominess just before Jesus came into the world. There isn't gloominess for people that don't know Jesus or frankly don't care about Jesus. I appreciate Professor David Murray, the professor of Old Testament at Puritan Theological Seminary, no less, 
also the author of happychristian.net. I want that website. He says there's seven types of happiness. There are different happinesses, aren't there? There are different levels of happiness. There's nature happiness or nature joy. They're simultaneous. A enjoyment of nature. There's social happiness. Happiness that comes from friendships with people, whether you're a believer or not a believer. There's vocational happiness, an enjoyment of the work that I do. There's physical happiness, enjoyment maybe going out, exercising, playing sports. There's an intellectual happiness. There's humor happiness. Where do these happinesses come from? They're all gifts of God's grace. A common grace that God gives to the world. A happiness that comes from a full stomach, right? Whether you recognize God or not, they're from God. But there is a seventh happiness. A happiness you cannot find on the earth itself. It's a spiritual happiness. All of these other happinesses, if you will, are earthly pleasures. They last for a while. Then they go away, right? Remember when you had physical happiness and now you have a cold and an ailment? Social happiness, but you feel alone. They're up, they're down. Now this is a different happiness. This is a lasting happiness. A happiness that comes from God and permeates into everything else. And it cannot be found on earth alone. C.S. Lewis put it this way, that we all desire for lasting happiness. Our experience tells us, Lewis said, that Christians are born, not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. Man feels sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. We may spend a lifetime trying to fulfill these desires by pursuing earthly pleasures such as taking vacations, moving from one partner to another, or trying different hobbies, always thinking that the latest is the real thing at last, and yet always ending up disappointed. Even though they may manifest themselves in different ways such as material pursuits, they're all really longings for the transcendent joy that is found in God alone. This, of course, is if you do not have God already. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That brings us to this story. For as God invades the world of these first people, these lowly shepherds, as God comes into the world, what is their response? It's fear. It's not fear in the sense of awe. It's fear in the sense of terror. In fact, usually when God shows up, man feels terror. But when God shows up, Jesus feels delight. What's the difference between the two? See, the shepherds don't know what God brings. And how can you enjoy something when you're not sure of what it is that they're bringing. See, ultimately there is no happiness, no true seventh happiness when you're not right with God. And so this is why God has invaded the scene in this passage. 
For the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of exceeding joy. I have come to bring my joy to you because I have come to bring the favor of God. Luke 2.14 Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. We can only know happiness when we know that God is happy with us. I have two dogs in my house. I don't know if you're a dog owner or not. But dogs are very interesting creatures because they live for the love of their master. If there's a healthy relationship, right? Seen those YouTube videos, you know, where the master goes away and the dog's just kind of moping around, you know, he's kind of bummed, he's kind of whatever. And then at the end of the day, when the kid's getting off the bus and they hear and the tail pricks up and the excitement, to be with the master is the most pleasurable thing. But what happens when you're cross with your dog, right? They're barking, they're doing something and you speak to them disapprovingly. I don't know how sensitive they are. But there's a sense of their whole face falls. Their head drops. Their tail droops. Because I don't know if I'm right with the master. Does my master still love me? Is my master still happy with me? There's an insecurity to it. See, we can act, whether you're a Christian or not, that it doesn't matter what God thinks of me. I am the captain of my soul, right? I am a rock. I am an island. We can dabble in temporal happiness and experience it to some degree. But we can never know a lasting happiness, a true happiness, if we don't experience the happiness that comes from God, the happiness that is in God. And so my question for you is this, how do you think about God? He's holy, he's sovereign, but is he happy? If you don't think that God is happy, you won't believe that you can find your happiness in him. Oh sure, he can provide peace and love and faith, but not happiness. You see, it's only when we grasp that God is happy that we can believe that God wants us to be happy. And then in fact, God is the source of our true happiness. What we need is spiritual happiness. So where are you going to seek it? This brings me to my second point, that it's Jesus who has come to bring to us the happiness of God. What is it that turns terror into joy? Do not fear, the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy for all people, for today, in the town of David, a Savior is born. This good news of great joy is a child. Joy is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Here's a question for you. Who is the happiest person that ever lived? Happiest person that ever lived. The biblical answer is Jesus. I don't believe that. That's not true. That's not the picture that I've had painted of him. But what does the Bible say? Psalm 45, 6. Speaking of Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. The companions he's speaking of is the fellow humans of which you rule. He is more joyous than anyone. More happy than anyone. Now right away some of you have your hands going up. Wait a second, doesn't it not say in Isaiah that he was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering? It does say that. In Isaiah 52 and 53, speaking specifically of his redemptive work on the cross. It is kind of tough to be happy on the cross, okay? But here's the point. You can experience emotions simultaneously if you are an integrated individual. Did it not say that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame? How do I know that we experience simultaneous emotions? Because I do funerals. And simultaneously I can see some people crying and laughing in the front row as they think about their loved one who is gone. As they experience the joy and happiness of having known them and their life and the sadness of the fact that they've departed. But Jesus' default state was not sorrow. It was joy. Let me ask you this. Do, do little kids like going to people who are grumpy and sad and unhappy? No. And yet kids flocked to Jesus. Do people who want to have a good time invite people with a dour face who are always down to their party? No. And was that not what the Pharisees said? He's a glutton. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was the happiest person that ever lived. And that is why 10,000 people would come out to hear him. Imagine if I gave you a sermon, same words, and I gave it with a dour expression with no energy in my life. The question is not whether Jesus was happy. The question is, is Jesus happy with me? Jesus, sure, came to bring the morality of God and ethics of God into the world. But the joy of God? But think of the stories that Jesus told about why he came. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Which one of you, if he does not have 99 sheep and loses one, leaves them and goes into the fields to find them? And when he finds them, puts them on his shoulders and brings them back and says to his friends, Rejoice with me. Let's have a party. I found my lost sheep. Or what about the father craning, looking for his son who went away? Who comes back after having squandered the family fortune with prostitutes and says, quick, put the family robe on him. Put his sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger. We have to be celebrated and be glad for my son was lost and is found, was dead and is alive. Or the different subjects that he gives. 
talents to. Who use them for the master because they love him. At the end, well done. Come and share in your master's happiness. Jesus' relationship with the twelve demonstrates this, doesn't it? No longer at the end, he said, do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for I have heard from my father what I have heard I have made known to you. And Jesus spoke to them and he speaks to us in John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I have told you this so that my happiness may be in you. And that your happiness may be complete. See, it's a question of not being happy, but Happy in the right thing. Before we knew where we stood with God, before we were in relationship with Him, we were not able to be happy in the right thing. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, The atheist sees beauty, but has no one to think, thus no one to be happy in. See, there's something about being happy in someone. I remember getting married to Lee Ellen and our lives were joined together and I got to start seeing the world through her eyes and her through mine. Poor child. But every now and then we'd be separated because of work or business or something and I'd see something and I'd enjoy it but I'd long to share it with her because it was the way that we enjoy life together. It wasn't as enjoyable or happy because I wasn't able to be happy in it with her. But think about how much of life, all of life, is a blessing from God. And we can only truly enjoy it when we're happy in it with the one who gave it. My oldest son Mark said this, he said, when you know where a gift comes from, who it comes from, it changes everything about the gift. And so, through Jesus, who is, makes me right with God, who brings the favor and blessing of God, I can experience all of the blessings of life. The food on my table, the clothes on my back, the sun in the sky, and be happy with them of them because I'm happy in them with the one that gives them to me. What is the point of enjoying if I can't enjoy it with Him? See, the point is that God wants you to share in the Master's happiness. Jesus has come near that we might experience what God thinks of us, might see every blessing for what it is, and it might result in praise and enjoyment and pleasure. There was a famous song written by Isaac Watts, Joy to the Lord World. It's actually written and wasn't meant to be a Christmas song. It's written for uh, Psalm 98. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make loud noise. Sing praise. It was Lowell Madison in 1839 who set this song to uh, Handel's theme 
And somehow around then it started being incorporated into the Christmas liturgy. Because somewhere someone realized that this was exactly what was going on when Jesus came to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. See, we have to make room to push away those earthly happinesses so that we can have the central happiness of God who's come to magnify all those other happinesses by enjoying them in the one who has given them. No more let sin and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. The entrance of Jesus is the greatest joy that the world will ever know. So let your joy be nothing in nothing less than Christ who has come into the world. So if Jesus is the happiness of God, who is Jesus to you? How are you to live? Do you follow Jesus because he shows you how to live, how to do the right thing? But your expression is dour. There's such a caricature of Christians in the news media, right? A lot of it's a joke. But I wonder if some of it goes from the fact that we've been deluded by Satan to believe that happiness is not part and parcel of what Christ seeks to do in our lives. This brings me to my final point. How are we to live in this joy? Jesus has brought me this joy and I can understand now what God wants to do through Christ. How am I to live in it? Because I don't always feel joy, Carlos. Sometimes I do feel unhappy. Let me just give you a couple of tips. Number one, the scriptures say to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Maybe you don't always feel happy. Well, the first question you need to ask is, are you being happy in the wrong things? Now, what I mean by that is not, not enjoying the happiness of those other happinesses, but making them the ultimate happiness. No, rejoice in Him. Let Him be your happiness. But here's the truth, my friends. If happiness is a feeling, I'm not in control of my feelings. You know that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Easier said than done, right? If I'm not in control of my feelings, this has to be by faith. If Jesus is the bringer of happiness, then I must rejoice in Him, trusting that He will bring me the happiness that comes from treasuring Him above all other treasures. But is that not faith? And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Don't be afraid, Abraham, God said. I am your shield and your great reward. I am not responsible for my happiness. But I am responsible for seeking my happiness from Him. People say that happiness is based on circumstances. Well, what are my circumstances in Christ? God who loved me. God who richly provides everything for my enjoyment. 
Jesus who loved me and wanted me so much that he died on a cross, enduring an agonizing death, that I might be with him. A God who will never leave me or forsake me. A God who promises to bring me peace in him. I am responsible for meditating on his goodness and promises and looking to him as my source of happiness. And I will trust that he will bring me joy. I don't always feel happy. There's a lot in the world to not make us feel happy. Some of us have experienced sorrow and sadness in our life. Some of us are just naturally prone to depression and melancholy. It's chemical. We can experience, though, feeling simultaneously. Does not 2 Corinthians 6.10 said that we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing? We will experience sadness and sorrow in the world. And to say, oh, there's something unbiblical about that is ridiculous. God gives those things to us that we might understand the plight of our fellow man. That we re might remember what it means to be without a Savior. Weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Jesus wants you to have joy. And he came to bring it to you. So do not fear. Do not be dismayed. For God has come through Christ to bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For to me is born this night in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. Dare to expect your happiness and joy and contentment from Christ is the reason that he has come. And let his joy and the enjoyment of him permeate into all other joys. I finish with this quote by C.S. Lewis. We know the proof of joy. It is the evidence that what we have really satisfies the heart. That Christmas day Jesus was given to us the greatest gift of joy. Let you be satisfied with no less present than the one who has come to give you joy. The entrance of Jesus is the greatest joy the world will ever know. So let your joy be in nothing less than in Jesus Christ who has come into your world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came to bring the joy of God to us. To bring us into your family of joy. To experience the pleasure of all of the things, the beauties. Even in the midst of sorrow, you are with us. Help us to be anchored in you. That even the smallest thing might be a demonstration of love. That we may see it for what it is. And see you for who we, you are. And rejoice in you to your glory and your happiness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.